the series on holiness um, that we're looking at today. And today's title really is um, Holiness in Real Life. If you've been going through uh, with us the last couple of weeks, we're going to go over the same uh, passage again. This is the third week we've been in these, these opening verses, but they're so helpful to us. I wonder if, you, um, if you've given any time to thinking about what the end game or what the five-year plan is for your faith, where this thing is heading, what, what, what you should be able to do uh, with your Christianity in four or five years' time. Should you, should you have figured out what to wear? Should you be really getting on with church services? Should you be really enjoying? Should this be a pleasurable thing that you do? Uh, should you be able to pray like a, you know, like a trooper? Should you be able to you know, experience the kind of zen uh, that you see these holy men of old experiencing? The destination that we are heading to, the end game, the end game on the journey from now to then, as far as I can see in the Bible, is holiness. It's holiness. Holiness is how we will be. This is my conviction and my belief, so ask me about it afterwards. Holiness is how we will be into eternity. We're going to be holy. And from until we're faced with eternity, we are being made holy. That is the, that is the root. That is our storyline. I think that is our big meta-narrative for our life. That's my conviction. We're being made holy. That's what's going on. It makes us think, I think, when we th- so what pops into your head when you think about holiness? Holiness, as I said earlier on, is this idea that we are being separated. It's this idea that a holy thing like a football stadium is a specifically set-apart thing. But this, as, as human beings have practiced it, has led us down the path often of you know, disappearing off, think, thinking that we need to become separate from everything. To be holy, you know, we see people going towards the monastery or, or thinking that, that holiness is something you experience maybe just in this confined space or, or when you go on a long starry walk or something like that. Holiness is something that you experience separate. It's a separation. As I said at the start, holiness is separation. But here's my conviction. This is where the New Testament t- takes me, I think. It's not separation from the world. We're not being pulled away from it and removed from it. We are being, if you can fathom this, separated into it. That's what it means to be holy in the real world, separated into it. So don't think of an extraction. Don't think of being pulled apart. Think of what happens, I think this is right, when you like drop a bit of oil into some water, that it stays in there, but it's a separate thing. That's what holiness is. As I see it. So we see in the end of this, this amazing encounter. I hope you've, I hope you've, I hope me and Paul, as we've preached it, has made you feel it. This is an amazing moment in scripture, this Isaiah 6 passage. This is meeting God. It's this amazing moment. But at the end of this amazing moment, the voice of the Lord in verse 8 comes to him and it says, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. The holiness doesn't stay there in the temple. That's not the end of the holiness story. The holiness is worked out in the rest of Isaiah's life, in the rest of Isaiah's real life. This is where holiness is worked out. It doesn't stay separate. It doesn't head us down a separate direction from everybody else. We don't become isolated people. We are separated into stuff. Our holiness is worked out in the ordinary Every day. So read with me. I think we've got the text up. Matthew, Matthew 5.13. This is how Jesus describes the kind of separation, uh, the kind of impact of his holiness on our life and what it will look like. He says, 
to people listening in at the Sermon of the Mount. You're the salt of the earth. So he, he talks about as, as salt and light. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine for others. Do you see how Jesus talks about how his, how his holiness is going to impact the world? He says it just doesn't make any sense if that's to be done separately altogether. Of course you've been separated. Something amazing is happening to you. Some amazing changes are happening inside of you. But that's not to see you separated from the world. This is something that is going to take place like salt in and amongst stuff. That's how it's going to work. It's going to happen like a light on a hill in front of people. That is where our holiness is going to be worked out. It's going to be worked out in the everyday. So when you, um, if you read your New Testament on this, so there's lots in the Old Testament about holiness and God's people being separated, but not separated without a purpose, separated to be seen, separated to be encountered. And the instruction in the New Testament about holiness it doesn't tell us to, to go off into the blue yonder and stare up into the sky and stay there for as long as we can until we get some sense of this holy moment and then you know, be there as long as you can. The instructions on holiness are about our chat, you know, about our, the way that we talk to each other, our relationships, our sex lives, um, our minds, our attitudes. That's, these are the instructions. Read these long passages in the, in, the, in the epistles. This is how Paul describes holiness. He talks about it being worked out in the everyday. That's how it's going to go for us. That's where it's going to manifest itself. Yeah, we'll have moments like this, hopefully where we are separated, but we are separated to be somewhere, and it's going to work itself out in the ordinary everyday. So this talk really is just a couple of ways that we see how that works out for us. And the first way I think that holiness works out in the everyday, in the real world, is it gives us a new view of the world, a new view of the mess that we are in. That's the first thing that holiness does. Do you see what happens to Isaiah in verse 5? Do you see the change? I think Isaiah, if you read the first couple of chapters of Isaiah, and, and even beyond the first couple of chapters, he's got a gripe with the people. He's annoyed with the people. He's got some, I think, what I would call righteous anger. He's agitated by the people. But his holy encounter, because that's not that unusual a thing for a religious person, is it? We've got our gripes. We've got our issues. We look around quite often and go, oh, man, that's rubbish. I wouldn't do that. Oh, that's rubbish. I wouldn't do that. Everybody kind of does this. Isaiah's doing this. It's not that unusual a thing. But look at what happens when he encounters holiness. War to me, I cried. This is as he sees as he's confronted with a holy God, war to me. I am, and we've dwelt on this word, I think, three weeks in a row, and it's right that we do it. I am ruined because I've seen a holy God. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live a people, I live among a people of unclean lips. Do you see the change? How do we look around and see the world? We, look, we, do, we, we happily look around and see that other people aren't getting it right, and we happily will often respond by thinking, well, that's kind of not what I would do. I feel I go there all the time. That's my every day. 
every day I'm there. And you see what happens as Isaiah encounters holiness. Do you see the sea change? He's still angry with the people, except this time because he's encountered the holiness of God, he can't look past himself. And because he can't look past himself, because he realizes, man, God's holy and I clearly see that I'm not, it changes how he sees himself and everything else. It changes how he sees the people around him. It stops being just a gripe. I think he's probably still got gripes. He's still got issues. But he starts to have a real ache in his heart for the absence of God for these people. That's the change that holiness brings. Easy to look at the world and go, man, that's, that's rubbish. That's ridiculous. See, what happens when holiness comes in is it shows us ourselves. And it means that we can't see it separate from ourselves after that. And it means that our anger maybe just turns into a shared ache, an ache at the absence of God. That's what holiness does. As we look around us and we see the struggles in the world, we don't jump in to condemn, perhaps. We look and we go, oh, that's, that's without God. That's what happens without God. And it turns into an ache. How can we change that? How could that ever change? Um, there's a story um, that has been rightly in my head this last couple of weeks, and it's the story of, um, maybe not in the Bible, the man who falls through the roof. Are you familiar with that story? The man who falls, there's different reasons. Uh, if you've been around Christchurch for a little while, you'll know why this is a story that's, that's in, my, in my head at the moment. The man who fell through the roof. And the story goes, <clears throat> Jesus is, um, so you can read about this, Jesus is healing, and everyone's following him about because he's healing. So you're looking, when you see this man, Jesus, part of what you're thinking is, there's no medical care knocking around. This guy can heal me. This, there's a sense of, oh, this guy can help me out. This guy can help me out. So that's what happens. Um, there's a guy who's paralyzed. Four of his mates grab hold of him, and they take him to where Jesus is at. And they take him, and they can't get in because it's so busy, because everyone's there listening to Jesus and maybe hoping to get healed as well. So they drag him up onto the roof. And what happens? You know this story. You've got to be careful when you're on a roof. Just goes straight, goes straight through the roof, falls straight in um, to the middle of this room. And everybody's still looking on. And maybe one or two people, as you do when the, a roof comes through, you're thinking, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to repair this? But everyone in the room is thinking about health. There's a guy who's already, you know, it's a pretty rubbish day, isn't it, when you're a paralyzed guy and he's just fallen through the roof as well. Can it get any worse than this? Everyone's thinking about their health. And yet, what does Jesus say in this circumstance? What's the first words on his lips? Maybe you can think back to the story. Jesus says, you're forgiven. It's like he's lying there on the floor. Can't get up. Maybe he's thinking, it's not my biggest issue. Jesus says, you're forgiven. Everybody's scorning him. And as Jesus sort of feels the scorn, he says, well, I can sort of feel that scorn. But because of who I am, because of your faith, rise up, get out and walk. And as everybody leaves that day, Maybe for a second they were thinking this was all going to be about health. But because the guy who healed miraculously started off, prioritized the guy's sin, everybody leaves that day thinking about their need of sanctification, their need of holiness, their separation from God. That became the issue. It's a miracle. Incredible change of perspective. I think holiness, when we encounter it, 
takes us to a place where we have a different perspective. We have an ache, not just a condemnation of the rest of the world, but an ache for the presence of God in it. And I would say only Jesus can turn our heads like that. <clears throat> Second way I think that we see it, so it gives us a new view of the mess. Um, it also gives us a new way through the mess. It gives us a way to get through this mess. I think, I think we could say that life's hard enough. And one of the things you could think when you think about the idea of looking at holiness, you could say, life's hard enough. And when I think about the impact of trying to be holy on top of how hard it is already, those rules that I read about in Leviticus that makes me want to never read the Bible again, when I think about the weight of that, it becomes like a blocker almost to us. See what it says uh, in verse 6 and 7. Read through that with me. I'll just have your eyes over that for a second. It, on the one hand, this is, um, this is a moment of a, a guy who is, who is absolutely ruined and who encounters a holy God and has this incredible, lofty, angelic, so almost alien experience. And then he's forgiven and moves on. On the one hand, on the one hand, it's that. On the other hand, this is just a normal guy, just a human being, who encounters a holy God, like we do, realizes what that means, realizes that they're up against it, and yet gets through. This is on the one hand, an incredibly holy moment. On the other hand, it's like a teenager who's gone off to a youth weekend and the speaker's been awesome. They've had a real good connection. They've had this sort of uplifting moment. And yet on the way home from the youth weekend, they pop their phone on and they, they are reminded of the incessant temptation that's going to come their way for the next however many years of their life. And that ultimately, they're ruined. And yet, it's like when you realize, as an older person, like a 40-year-old person, that money doesn't buy you happiness. Have you realized that? I've realized that recently. Money doesn't buy you happiness. And yet, you know that it has got you. You know that for the rest of your life, you're going to be kind of ruined by it. There's going to be loads of moments along the way where it will just expose any attempts at holiness that you have. It's like, it's like being here tonight it's like singing we've got some good songs coming up it's like that just some of the praise and when you get the that high that separateness of being together as church and you you feel the presence of god and you feel the impact of his holiness and yet you know that on monday morning it's possible probable that you'll have swear words in your head about your kids who you love that you'll feel like the week just feels it's going to be impossible not to have a night where you probably need a glass of wine just to get through how horrible do we get sometimes in our lives? How sinful can we get? And yet we get through how is it possible in this world? How on earth is it possible that we can even think about being holy? That we can even think, even, even on our own, even in our own worlds with nobody else looking, let alone trying to do this with people watching on, let alone trying to do this as lights on a hill, as salty Christians, people that do it in and amongst the world. Surely we are set to fail. Surely we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. Surely we should just try and do it in secret or abandon the idea and ask Ash to 
preach every week on love or blessings or something like that. Let's not go near holiness. Surely, you know, maybe we just should be thankful for the odd Zen moment where we get a glimpse of holiness on our own. We go on a long holiday, we have a few days off, and we go, oh, that's the holiness of God. That will do. We can't possibly do it in the week. We can't live like this, can we? I think two things we see in this awesome text. It's, it's the last things that we see in the text. One is that grace is always greater. <clears throat> grace is always greater. There's this lovely moment in the story. You just get me a glass of just grab a glass of water. Sorry, I'm choking. <clears throat> I tickle. Oh, that's better. There's this lovely moment in the story where we're looking at Isaiah and we're like, he's ruined. He's done for. He's ruined and there's no way forward. He's seen God, there's just no way forward. He's on the floor, there's no way forward. And he's thinking there's no way forward. And yet the, the seraphs come and they touch his lips with the coal and they say, your sin is atoned for. You know, the altar shows us in the Bible, the altar shows us throughout the text how far we are away from God just how far we are away from God. It shows us that really clearly, but it shows us as well that the grace of God is always greater. This is what Paul tells us in Romans, where sin abounds, so just think on this for a second, and the altar reminds us of this, where sin abounds, grace is always more abounding. There's always, it's, it's the best equation in the world. But do maths, really. If I were to do it, I'd want to do it about this equation. It's amazing. Wherever there is sin, grace is more abounding. I, I read a book uh, very recently, Gentle and Lowly, a guy called Dan Altland, really recommend it. He, he said it's like the way that a father might look at their son or daughter who is ill and see the illness and see the sickness and hate the sickness. See the sickness and just despise the sickness, but love the child. Not only love the child, they could see the child getting more and more sick, more and more sickness, and yet the outcome of this would not be that he likes the child less. Now think about this. If you're a parent, if you've got young ones that you love, it increases your love for the child. That is the heart of our God for this world. That is his heart for the world. He looks down and he sees the sin and he hates it. Now just think about what this says about who he is. And we, perhaps, I don't know if you think we're going forwards or backwards. Maybe we're going backwards. Maybe you personally are going forwards or backwards, I don't know. But as he sees us individually getting more and more sinful, just think about the heart of our Savior as he looks at us. Even though he's holy and he's perfect, he loves us more. It's ridiculous. Grace is always more abounding. That is the heart of our God for us. When we find ourselves lost in sin, we know that no matter how far that we go from him, he will always have enough grace for us to pull us back in. When we think about how hard holiness is to follow, how can we not follow a God like that? That's the first thing. The second thing and the last thing is, as Christians... We look at Jesus. The idea of going out tomorrow morning, whatever you face, trying to be holy in a public space, trying to 
live out your life in the nuance of this world, in the confusion and the mess. Even thinking about holiness as an option feels like we're set to fail. And yet, we live as people who look at Jesus. The idea of being a light on a hill should scare us to death. It feels like somewhere often that I can't go. Be holy in front of people, even strive for that. And yet we look at Jesus and we see a holy man walk up a hill. We see holiness heading towards a cross. We see a light on a hill and we see the whole crowd, the whole public arena Desperate for him to fail. Desperate for him to slip up and not remain holy. We hear their scorn. We hear the shouts thrown at him. And yet we watch him take each step. Not missing a step. Not saying a wrong word. Even when he should say something, he doesn't say something. And we see that holiness. And even though he says to us and we say to him, we can't go there. I can't be that. I can't do that. I know I'm bound to fail. When we see Jesus, we can, as Isaiah receives that grace, even though that we know we're going to trip up next week, with Isaiah we can say, here I am. Here I am. Don't know how it's going to go. Here I am. Send me. Because of who Jesus is.